0: Lord Swizzlington says you're wonderful.
1: (laughs) Welcome, one and all, to superhero stuff you should know. I'm Ben Man eighty nine, and with me, as usual,
0: Andrew Burtz Ward Bush.
1: indeed and what award it is (laughs) what award he
0: has
1: (laughs) (laughs) this month brings the 33rd anniversary of batman 89 so this month we will be bringing you episodes related to batman 89 as well as my coverage of the batman 89 issue 5 releasing right before the release of issue 6 which will be at the end of the month. It's coming, everybody. I know people have asked me, when's the issue five analysis? We've been very busy with other episodes, and because of the fact that it seems like it's like three or four months in between each issue, I wasn't in such a hurry this time. So it'll be coming. (laughs) I promise. Uh, This is also the 30th anniversary of the sequel, Batman Returns, this month. So some of these episodes will kind of tie into Batman Returns in some way. But... Uh, We do have some multiple related Batman Returns tie-ins throughout the year. We had our Unmade Catwoman episode in February, and we'll have a lot more to come regarding the different versions of Batman Returns in the development process, so stay tuned for that. But the first for this month is an unmade script treatment that I've mentioned many times before. We've sort of notoriously called it the one where Thomas Wayne gets killed in a Batsuit, but uh, (laughs) we've briefly covered it before. It is the Unmade 1985 Treatment for Batman, written by Julie Hickson and co-written... By Tim Burton himself so that's for those I who, mean
0: no offense to everybody else involved but that's the most interesting part of this whole deal <laughs> is <yes. laughs> Burton wrote it co-wrote yeah. it so yes yes yeah.
1: uh and also has concept art for it which you can see in our thumbnail so and you'll be seeing this as well in the, the video version will be showing you more and more concept art that Tim Burton did for this specific version of the script so okay uh so for those who are familiar with the scripts and episodes of ours, this is after the Tom Mankiewicz script, the Batman script from 1982 we talked about. But it is before Steve Englehart's, and it is before the comedy masterpiece that is Bob Kane's The Return of Batman.
0: Oh, man. One of, one of the best. One of the greats.
1: <laughs> Ten-plus script. So.
0: Ten-plus script on that one.
1: I know I covered a little bit of this Back when we did this old episode of the Batman script from 1982, I was mainly going over my notes from years before that I had published on batmanonline.com. And I had not reread the script treatment in a long time. I didn't even have my copy anymore of that. Luckily, a fan of the podcast, Derek O, helped send me a copy to reread it. And now we're doing an episode focused on it. So uh, here we are. Thank you, Derek, for that. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, we have Thank some you. of the best fans. Mm -hmm. sending us scripts and stuff it's all great uh one of the most notorious comments that's followed tim burton around the years is this quote i don't know you might have heard about this too from kevin smith it's tim burton saying quote anybody who knows me knows i would never read a comic book from tim burton great now this is through kevin smith by the way i don't remember if Tim Burton was directly quoted as this, or if Kevin Smith said that, that's what Burton said. Uh, but it is a response to Kevin Smith back around the late, uh, not late '90s, the early 2000s is when Tim Burton remade the Planet of the Apes. Uh, okay, this is, this is in between the classic era with Charlton Heston and Roddy McDowell, but before the like the big era of like the Matt Reeves, Andy Circus one. Yeah, there was
0: there was like one. Straggler right there in the middle, and it, yeah. it wasn't great.
1: Yeah, it was Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes with with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, yeah, and, and at least
0: it was like all practical though, or mostly practical. It at was that, time. that was the
1: most impressive part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Kevin Smith kind of jokingly accused Burton of ripping off a comic book that he wrote uh, when it came to the ending of Planet of the Apes. I think it, maybe it's the image of the Abe Lincoln Memorial having the ape face in it or something like that might have been from there so kevin smith sort of jokingly accused that and apparently burton responded with this quote saying anybody who knows me knows i would never read a comic book and i think the full quote includes much less read anything written by kevin smith
0: oh so this is more of a dig at kevin smith they had like a little rivalry yeah this
1: is years also years after burton threw out kevin smith's script for superman before starting on his own. Oh, so Burton. they've
0: had that for a while. Yeah, yeah, I mean, aren't there like quotes on the Arkham Asylum comic book that Tim Burton's like, this is an awesome comic book or some shit like that?
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly where I was gonna go to. So on the, cover okay. of the killing joke, he says, I love the killing joke. It's my favorite, it's the first comic I've ever loved. <laughs> <laughs> so So kind of Burton's just
0: yeah. trying to dunk on Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah. There. So
1: I think uh, and also Michael Uslin, the producer, the the basically the godfather of Batman cinema, is on record saying he gave Tim Burton several comics, several eras, including the cane and Finger era, including the Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers era of strange apparitions that we've covered on this. He he gave him several comics, and Burton himself has praised the Killing Joke, as we see here. So, I believe that again, uh, if it is a if it's basically through Kevin Smith, then Smith is probably. Either misremembering it or highlighting the part more that was against him. If mm-hmm. it's a direct quote, then maybe it's some of because it's obviously not true. Of course, he's read comic books. He worked on fucking Batman for two movies, and he had source material that he read on, and he has he this quote have. on the cover. of Hilly.
0: Yeah, he's this is just, just the, them them fighting. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think
1: the full context is like I would never read anything you wrote was kind of a yeah. thing, which is a shame because you know we're fans of both people. In their own ways. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just they clearly, there's something going on uh, on that. And I think the reason why I bring this up right at the top, because this is like, what the hell does this have to do with 1985? Right. When the Batman script was written, that's uh, treatment, is that a lot of people use this quote from Burton, not the Killing Joke one, but this other one, in terms of like, mm-hmm. I would never read a comic. They kind of use that to be like, yeah, Burton never read the comics. He never looked at the source material he just kind of likes certain aspects and that's it. And I feel like this treatment really puts this to the test because this actually has his name on it. Right. So let's go into what this is. If the treatment provides evidence of anything, it shows that somebody did their research on this. So it's either Tim Burton or it's with the co writer, Julie Hickson. So the treatment with the cover page says written by Julie Hickson based on ideas and concepts by Tim Burton and Julie Hickson, uh, dated October 21st, 1985. Now, next question. Who is Julie Hickson? We know who Tim Burton is. Who is Julie Hickson? Uh, So Hickson is a collaborator with Burton's in the 80s. And she helped him as a writer-producer. He did a TV special in the 80s on Hansel and Gretel, uh, which I have not seen. But he also um, did a short film that became the original Frankenweenie. Okay. So – Hickson was a producer on that and she basically helped him in the early point of his career. And at this point, uh, the collaborators, there's also reports of her being Tim Burton's girlfriend at the time, but I haven't really found anything to verify that outside of just, I am to be trivia. Um, okay. And she also wrote homeward bound Two, lost in San Francisco. Oh, she, <laughs> I saw that
0: several times on VHS, both of them.
1: Yes. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have highlighted, I should have led with that one.
0: <laughs> fucking Homeward Bound man that's one of those movies that like for me and our generation we're not too far apart Ben yep. I mean only slightly but like uh, it's like the VHS movie because it's those, it's that to me anyway because that's the movie that everybody had on VHS mm-hmm. but we were old enough by the time DVD came out we were, no one bought it on DVD <laughs> like it's just it's preserved in VHS land for me mm-hmm. uh, Homeward Bound but yeah, yeah
1: definitely a 90s VHS movie
0: oh yeah for sure
1: so Hickson Hixon wrote that many years after this but this is wow. sort of the the earlier days and I first read about this treatment in an article by Alan Jones that's featured in the book I'm pulling up here Tim Burton a child's garden of nightmares is the title great
0: title. oh my god what a this is so emo man <laughs> <laughs> or he's pre-emo kind of Burton yeah. you know he's he's goth I yeah. guess you could say hmm Emo didn't really come out. Well, that's debatable. Debatable. But anyway, yeah, yeah, he's pre-emo. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. So the the Child's Garden of Nightmares book is kind of a compilation of different articles. And so there's this article by Alan Jones, and I read this as a kid, and it says, like, Julie Hickson wrote a treatment. I'm like, who's Julie Hickson? Where's this treatment? I want to read it. And now here we are. Uh, So the article claimed it was 30 pages. I have claimed in a previous episode through faulty memory it was 80 pages. Turns out the article... And me, we were both wrong. It's forty thirty.
0: That's forty three. Okay,
1: pages. So we were both wrong on here. I overshot Alan Jones, who wrote the article. He undershot. So okay. Anyway, just to recap, then forty three pages written by Julie Hickson, but based off of ideas and concepts by Burton. And we are kind of examining whether or not there's evidence in here that Burton actually went through a lot of the source material, or even more source material than just the Killing Joke, which literally okay. has his name on it on the cover deluxe edition (laughs) right so uh we will basically dive into the script as well as show some of the concept art that Burton did for this so one thing that's interesting this treatment is split into formally split into three acts a lot of scripts sort of have the three act structure inherently in it but they don't necessarily have chapters split up like this kind of like think of it like Zack Snyder's Justice League where it was kind of split into chapters so uh first act is called loss so here we go Okay. Uh, the opening says a black screen suddenly the edges erupt into brightly curling frames or sorry curling flames framing the image with a vivid sinister glow so already if that sounds familiar the image that we're showing right now is the opening of the dark night which showed you know went from a black screen to sort of blue flames and stuff so right uh, that's cool and then this would then transition into a close up of the Joker laughing directly at us and here is concept art of Tim Burton's Joker, <laughs> which looks very familiar, not necessarily to Jack Nicholson, but to Beetlejuice, doesn't it? Yeah, anyway.
0: yeah, the stripes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what we're looking at right now for the RO listeners is <laughs> the concept art for the Joker that looks very different. Uh, he has red stripes. It's almost like candy cane design for his, yeah. for his jacket on that. And then the rest is kind of matching what is in the treatment. So I'll read that. It, he has shock white skin. Radioactive green hair standing on end as if permanently electrified, so that explains the sort of the long spikyish hair, mm-hmm. and sort of Beetlejuice like on this concept art, and it says red, red lips slashing into a chin so pointed it's like a demented exaggeration of a clown face. So very different from what we ended up getting. A lot more exaggerated, a little, bit, a lot more Beetlejuice like, and a little less Nick Dudman who did the actual makeup. On uh, oh, the nice. So. It's Uh,
0: always like his doodles are like, it's simple looking, but it's like his style is so, he already had so much style, you know, mm -hmm. I guess he was, he's definitely one of those kids that was like always drawing probably, like constantly. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: It has the feeling of like a kid's drawing, but like something twisted about it.
0: Yeah. There's, there's, there's humor in it, but it's also... You know, of course, dark. It's all, There's always humor in Burton's stuff, but it's yep. a, there's always something macabre as well, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And there definitely is with this this just looking Joker. Yeah, so yeah. I thought I that thought was an interesting start for this. So it's literally just opening on the Joker laughing and then cutting to Gotham City. So here's how Burton describes, or Burton and Hickson. I should say it's Hickson since it's written by julie hickson but gotham city is described as a little new york a little max fleischer as we can see here oh that's
0: awesome dude yeah
1: so that's cool callback and then it says a lot of fritz lang's metropolis which is what we see on the right so Mm -hmm. ironic because as we've brought up before in a previous episode anton first who did the production design he claimed he didn't take any inspiration from the film metropolis he hadn't even seen it in years when he was working on Batman 89, but yet still people had comparisons. And I think they're kind of unavoidable when you're doing like your own made-up city in a movie. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It says aerial tramways loop through the city like sci-fi dreams, which is kind of similar to what we see here in Metropolis. Uh, fantastic Langium architecture stretches skyward. Bright blimps slide by. We could have had blimps in the Burton. Burton, Burton.
0: Dude, the blimp would have been cool, man. <laughs> I don't know why. It's because it's, it's, it's the animated thing, right? Like, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just so it just been been,
1: The animated series brought to life.
0: There's something inherently art deco about blimps, maybe. Yeah. Oh, well, you can make them art deco very easily.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah just, just the feeling of it being there is cool. It says, traffic squirms through the lacy thoroughfares like a funeral march of fireflies. I like Hickson's description here.
0: Yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah. Uh, We then, of course, go. We (laughs) got to go into the origin. But let's remember, it's 1985. We hadn't formally seen Bruce's parents get shot in front of him yet. And nowadays, people are sick of it. But at the time, it was kind of something you had to do. So here, uh, we've covered this before. But just to recap, Thomas Wayne is a politician. Uh, kind of carrying over from the Tom Mankiewicz script, but he is sort of the, the, quote, counsel for the Senate-appointed subcommittee on investigation into racketeering. Uh, So a lot more complicated than just him trying to run for councilman. Uh, And he's going after mob boss Rupert Thorne, who we might remember from the Strange Apparitions arc. So once again, the Englehart and Rogers arc is very influential here. Uh, So Thorne's a big-time mob boss, and he's already being accused of using unions for legal profit and the big crusader against him is Thomas Wayne. And so one of the things I I think is interesting about this treatment is you have Bruce Wayne's father already being somebody who was so publicly against crime. He was already a crime fighter in some way. Um, yeah, I like that
0: too. I think yeah. that's cool.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's it's almost like he's carrying on the Wayne family legacy. And there's not, I didn't really, I don't remember anything in here mentioning the doctor aspect of
0: it. Even, but, even if he is a doctor, there's something yeah. for Bruce to take away from that because obviously helping people, yeah. helping, helping mm-hmm. criminals, even in that case with Falcone, Falcone yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. like the aspect of not caring about what Wayne, the Wayne company, Wayne Enterprises is doing at large mm-hmm. and doing his own thing, his own yeah. mission Ah uh, combating evil in his own way, evil being disease, I guess, but you know what I mean like they're either one works, which is great,
1: I think one of the better parts of the long Halloween is when he described his fighting or his combat to be similar to how his father described surgery in terms of like oh yeah, out, that's great, you know, man, you gotta, yeah, you know, you cut out the most toxic part first, and then it cuts the Batman just like punching out poison ivy like that stuff,
0: oh you know? yeah, I like that yeah part. that uh, is that is cool that was, yeah. I mean. Then mentioning the Hippocratic Oath in, in, the, in the movie, too, I thought was yeah. great. Like, yeah. I'd love more stuff like that in the movies. It's always good. It's great,
1: yeah. So we do meet a young 10-year-old Bruce Wayne in the audience watching his father with awe. And we see the bond with him and his family. You know, this is years before Batman begins. So they really want to establish this bond with him and his father he and Thomas sort of race each other up the stairs. And they both fall down the stairs, and they're laughing together. You know, just happy times that we know are going to be ripped from him almost immediately from this. Uh, and right. Thomas Wayne has a heart-to-heart with Alfred, who's there, of course. And, and Thomas worries about, you know, I'm this public figure going up against organized crime. I'm worried about what's going to happen with me and my family. And so he makes Alfred promise to take care of Bruce should anything happen to him. Which, again, a very smart beat. I think, on Julie Hickson and Tim Burton's part here in terms of establishing, like, why does Alfred, like, why is this all entrusted on the butler? Why is this all entrusted on the servant at the end of right. the day? Right, right, right. Smart stuff. Uh, we then meet Martha Wayne, and the family has dinner, but the dinner gets interrupted by a phone call, which Thomas picks up, and we can overhear that it's something threatening, and he yells at them to not call at him again. So clearly, Rupert Thorne is escalating the situation. So to distract Bruce. Martha has him change into costume. <laughs> uh, because they're going to a costume party. So, of course, to fit the theme, Thomas Wayne is dressed in a bat suit. So
2: okay, there we go.
1: We have our first major lift from the older comics. This was in the 1950s comic, The First Batman, which showed Thomas Wayne once wore a bat suit looking very similar to the original Bill Finger designed bat suit from the 1939 comics. Uh, and he once wore that to a costume party. And, of course, I feel like that. Was very influential on the Flashpoint Batman decision. It was just like, eh, it's his yeah, father. I you thought know?
0: that all that came out, but like at that time with the Flashpoint stuff, mm-hmm. it's interesting that this DNA is traced way, way back. Yeah. And it's it through
1: Bill Finger. Bill Finger wrote this. Oh, long.
0: so the OG himself. Yeah. It's interesting. By the way, real quick for the uh, listeners out there. Let us know, because you don't read a whole lot of like Earth Two or whatever bat, Thomas Wayne Batman, right? Do you Ben? Mm. You do. You have?
1: Oh, I have uh, in terms of the Flashpoint stuff.
0: As far as comics in general, I want to know if there's any, if there's any comics out there where he's like fucked up a criminal, but then he's actually doing surgery in the bat suit because he's still a doctor. You know what I mean? Like that would be kind of oh, cool actually, because yeah. something Bruce doesn't do that much, right?
1: That honestly sounds more interesting than what I've seen of Flashpoint Batman. <laughs> so. I want to
0: see him do some Doctor shit in the Bat suit. I think that would be because they always like show him shooting guns and shit, and i like, yeah, That's kinda, I know, kind of boring to me. Like, yeah. do the do- play the Doctor angle more? It's the main difference between him and Bruce.
1: Yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Thomas Wayne dresses up as a bat. Martha's dressed up as a fairy, as we can see here in um, in the comic panels. However, unlike the original comic, Bruce is dressed as a Harlequin. Oh, wow. Interesting choice.
0: This is before the b Yeah,
1: this is before Harley Quinn, too. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, he's dressed up like a little clown. So, uh, (laughs) with all the costumes, Martha says, like, to to Bruce's chagrin, Martha's like, Alfred, take a home movie of us on a Super 8 camera. So, we have, like, this home movie moment of the family together in costume and stuff, which becomes important later. So... The Waynes, then in costume, go to a costume party, which leads them to then go to an opera house, which I'm sure is interesting because it's full of people dressed up in costumes. Uh, and, of course, the opera they're watching is Die Fledermaus. I guess, nice. the bat. Uh, again, foreshadowing David Goyer and Christopher Nolan's decision to have them go to the opera in Batman Begins. Though, you know, we have the costume party being mixed up into it. And Bruce, young Bruce, is like, what's this opera about again? Some guy who changes into a bat. Is he like Dracula? It's like, <laughs> he's already curious about this idea.
0: He's more like Zorro, son. <laughs> I'm confused, Papa.
1: He's like the Dra- He's like the shadow. Who? <laughs> who the hell is that? <laughs> so after they leave the theater, the Wayne family leaves, but they have two stalkers following them, an image that we would actually see in Batman 89. And it's not really explained who they are, but it, presumably they are people who are working for Rupert Thorne, who are kind of figuring out where they are so that they can set up the Wayne family. Okay. After they leave the theater, uh, Thomas has this idea, you know what? Let's walk home in our costumes. To hell with the fact that Rupert Thorne just threatened my family. Oh, (laughs) my (laughs) God. Let's just walk back home in this. So uh, they walk home, and as they do this, an ice cream truck drives by, and a gunman opens fire on the couple and drives off, still playing the music. From the truck. So this is very different from most versions of the of the Batman origin. It is literally somebody with a machine gun or something uh, from an ice cream. It's a drive-by, basically.
0: Oh, yeah. So it's very impersonal.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bruce screams in, quote, unthinkable pain and grief and fixes on the face of the killer in the truck who has green hair, pale skin, and red lips. It's the Joker at 17 years old
0: mm-hmm. in an ice
1: cream truck uh, shooting. So... This is another instance of the Joker playing a role in the death of Bruce Wayne's parents. We saw this in the Tom Mankiewicz script, but here he is the gunman. And clearly, Tim Burton still wanted this idea in it. It's not something that's in the comics. It's probably one of the most controversial parts of Batman 89, but we see the DNA already in this treatment. Mm -hmm. It says, quote, for a split second in a look, which is to reshape Bruce's entire future, their eyes meet Locke, and then in a blink, the truck careens away to the surreal strains of Mr. Softy's music. Very Burton-esque. Mr. Softy. Yeah, Mr. Softy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm picturing like a music box version of the, the Joker theme in 89. <laughs> okay, theme, the yeah. Music. So that type of stuff. Uh, Prince then,
0: would have made uh, <laughs> ice cream truck Mr. music, Softie. man. <laughs> we <laughs> Prince, we didn't this this, need this. Mr. You're going like the extra two or three miles here. <laughs>
1: So, after this murder Commissioner Gordon is at the scene of the crime comforting Bruce as Thomas and Martha are taken away in white sheets that quote make them look like spectral horizontal ghosts again I gotta Mm -hmm. give credit to to Hickson and and Burton here they're really honing in on the like not necessarily the fantasy aspect but or supernatural aspect but the the macabre as you describe Mm it I think that's the perfect way to describe this this is a very macabre take on the Batman mythos Uh, And we have foreshadowing, too, because it's Gordon who's there to comfort Bruce at the crime scene, which is what was written in the Sam Hamm script. It's in various other versions of the mythos. I thought at first this was something that Steve Englehart brought to it, but Englehart writes his treatment after this with Gordon comforting Bruce. So technically, it's Julie Hickson who comes up with this, the writer of Homeward Bound 2. Who knew? (laughs) so
0: <laughs> oh man <laughs> not the first one yes <laughs> the second one, the second one. <laughs> 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 they're in san francisco y'all <laughs> man homer bound again i'm just gonna do a real quick tangent here but like that's one of those movies that i would have on on vhs again and i'd like want my dad to watch it and he would never watch it and like oh, really? look like he'd watch movies with me but mm-hmm. not that one and like looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I could see why he wouldn't want to watch that shit. Like, it's <laughs> fucking dogs talking to each other for fucking three hours, two hours. No thanks, son. Yeah. Dad, he, you could watch. I'll let you watch it by yourself. You know? It's like that kind <laughs> of thing. Okay. All right, dad. <laughs> oh, shit. Right.
1: Well, after these murders, Alfred finds young Bruce and vows that as long as he's alive, Bruce will never be alone. Again, because he's fulfilling the promise he made to Thomas Wayne earlier that night. All very right. fortuitous that Thomas made him say that right before he got gunned down, but that's what ends up happening. So I think we have a very solid, other than the very weird instance of Thomas Wayne getting shot down in a bad suit by joker in a Mr. Softy truck, we have a pretty solid origin, I think. Uh, yeah,
0: it's good. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, we get the funeral of the Waynes again, and I'm going to re- have you read off, actually, what the priest says, because this ties into the theme, I guess, of, oh, of nice. this version of the treatment. So this is apparently from Ralph, Waldo Emerson's Essays in the Conduct
0: oh, of Life. Oh, nice. Is what
1: he, this is what the priest says.
0: Great men, great nations, have not been boasters and buffoons, but perceivers of the terror of life, and have manned themselves to face it. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed.
1: So I think the priest brings this up because... They're saying that Thomas Wayne exemplified this idea from Emerson. But this will pay I'm, off a little later.
0: I'm a, oh, boasters like you're boasting. You're a uh, braggart. Is yeah. that what, we're, is, that's what it is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. For a second, I didn't know what that meant. But I got it now.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is old school Emerson talk. This is we're talking <laughs> centuries ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically, you know, being able to prepare for the worst of things. Okay, cool. Uh, so Bruce then has a voiceover that covers his silent vow to forego love, family, friendship, and all the trappings of normal life, to dedicate my life to a relentless war against crime. <laughs> and that leads us into Act Two Preparation Transformation. And like they say in Team America, we're going to need a montage. So this <laughs> is, like, a lot I of lo- the montage dude, is going to be here. I love montages,
0: bro. <laughs> Training montage is the best thing in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so we it's have, so good. During this montage, Bruce studies Tai Chi, Aikido, Judo, Kung Fu, advanced hypnosis. That's interesting. That uh, would
0: be cool. They always yeah. miss that part of the. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, they they do. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, this does not pay off in this treatment, but it does in Bob Kane's version. Remember? <laughs>
0: oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Not remembering it's that like, this, like this
1: bride will be
0: hypnotized easily,
1: <laughs> like all women. Uh, says that he also studies <laughs> fencing, which is which is ties, in of course, into Rosal Google stuff. The is not in this. Oh Skydiving, yeah, for sure. Swimming, mm-hmm. meditation. You got to have meditation.
0: Got to have it in there,
1: uh, especially if you're the Grant Morrison Batman. B- Grant Morrison's Batman has this whole thing where he goes through the Thogal ritual, with some sort of Buddhism ritual. Oh my god, I have to read that.
0: I, I've done myself a disservice not having. I'm sorry, Internet. I haven't read that one yet.
1: I, I'll get to I'll it. Have I'll have recommendations in terms of how to get through that one because okay. there's so much that's tied into the previous seventy plus years of Batman lore before Grant Morrison wrote that, that you kinda of have to read some of those first.
0: Yeah. I just love how whacked out Grant Morrison is. I'm glad I'm glad he exists. Yes. I'm glad he's out there so, reading every single <laughs> comic before he writes
1: one. Everything is canon. Everything yeah. is canon. <laughs> I love that approach. He uh, said cool. he said when he,
0: before he started writing Flash, he read all Flash, and I'm sure he did this with all with Batman too. He's <laughs> yeah. just, he's just that guy.
1: Mm-hmm. So we got meditation, we got archery. Uh, though obviously Oliver Queen's going to use that more. It also yeah. says he masters all major languages, adept at gymnastics, acrobatics, chess, criminology, law, medicine, astronomy, astronomy, physics, and dabbles. St- with he magic gives Stephen
0: and- Hawking some notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the last part is interesting: dabbles with magic and witchcraft. Again, adding to the macabre.
0: So that's not Morrison writing that. That's interesting. That I could see him the doing Homeward that though. Bound too. Yeah. Right. I could. I could say again. Homeward bound too. So I I could see him studying that kind of shit, if not to believe, not to believe it, of course, but just to fucking know it, just to know it, that it's out there. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's like- culturally inappropriate. A uh, culturally, you know, um, not indicative, but it's relate. It's relative to. Culture, I guess. I don't know.
1: I think it's it's just a case where I'm just like, if I am to fight against evil, and I find that evil extends beyond the, you know, the world I've taken for granted, then I have to prepare myself.
0: Oh, definitely. Like, like if you're, uh, like, I'm I'm sure that like the Israeli army reads neo-Nazi books. You know what I mean? Like they fucking got another enemy. You know? Yeah. Shit like that. Yeah. So of course.
1: Stream. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's cool. We also see him combing through newspapers about crime and about Rupert Thorne. He knows, he suspects that Rupert Thorne was the man who was behind the murder of his parents. And he tries to convince Gordon about this. And and Gordon is trying to look out for him. It says that Gordon regards Bruce Wayne as a second son. So this is interesting. A father-son, a surrogate father dynamic with Gordon different from the surrogate father dynamic he has with Alfred, because in this case, Gordon only really knows Bruce. He doesn't really have that type of relationship with Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is kind of an echo, too, for how Bruce was introduced as Gordon's friend from the very first panel in Detective Comics number 27. Uh, We talked about how we don't really get to see a lot of Bruce and Gordon as buddies, so much as Batman and Gordon these days. We kind of get to see this in some way in the Gotham TV show, where Bruce sort of saw... Ben McKenzie's Gordon as another circuit father second to Alfred of course. Okay. But uh, this is an interesting idea that's brought up for that would have definitely given Pat Engel's Gordon a lot more to do in uh, in the birds. Yeah. Yes. He didn't say, have much like, to he do He gave us there. the signal.
0: Great line great line delivery though. I I that that, is, yeah. that like stuck in my brain like when I was a kid just the way you said that.
1: Oh yeah, no it's iconic. Yeah. Uh, Bruce also develops a basement hideaway. Only access through a secret panel hidden behind a fake bookcase in the mansion library. This contains the flow charts of Rupert Thorne's criminal organization. There's an elaborate gym and trapeze set, criminology and science labs, state of the art computers, processor and tracking systems, at least for nineteen ninety five. Basically I like. It's an I like background. to think
0: i like to think that when he's training, he's like like you said, he's learning languages and like doing gymnastics, like I think I'd like to think he doubles up like he, he does <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like <laughs> learning Egyptian or something, and while, you know, doing push-ups or doing, you know, some sort of physical. Yeah. yeah, on the ring, doing the rings or something, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Bruce also yeah. watches the home video of his parents in costume every He
0: also night. watches Homeward Bound every <laughs> and night. Homeward Bound 2. <laughs> Homeward Bound
1: 2. <laughs> <laughs> I, should a, I should have had Dan give us a poster of Homeward Bound 2. <laughs> On
0: this. oh man let's put it let's put the dog in the corner <laughs> what was a golden retriever or some shit
1: uh, was, you know the movie better than i do
0: oh you didn't watch it when you were a kid
1: i don't i don't think i did i don't remember this one Outside did you watch the just, first one i i i remember just generally knowing what homeward bound was i just don't remember if i saw the movies
0: oh this is this is just one of those things everybody watched at the time when i was a yeah. kid <laughs> i remember
1: Maybe I'll check it out some when I have.
0: No, no. Well, yeah, maybe then. But there's (laughs) pretty much no reason to watch it. Like I've never need to revisit. Like the Sandlot is worth watching. That's a a all time American classic. But Homeward Bound is not one of those movies. (laughs) This is decent enough. It's probably on Disney Plus. Yeah. All right.
1: I'll check it. I'll I'll see if it's there for the future when I have a kid. Yeah. 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 uh, so, Bruce is doing all this training stuff, and then we cut to years later where the Joker breaks out of prison and terrorizes Gotham, threatening revenge against Rupert Thorne, who somehow went from being a notorious mob boss to being the mayor of Gotham City. I don't know how that happened, but, you know, we have another concept art piece here with the Joker. Again, the shock green hair. He's almost got like a yeah. green style haircut yeah, yeah. in this one, uh, but very exaggerated smile on this. Again, different from what we got.
0: So how many how many Joker drawings are there, and how many Batman drawings are there from from Burton?
1: There's more Joker drawings than Batman ones.
0: He loves the villain. He loves he yeah, loves it's evil. Surprise! Yeah, it's yeah. Not surprised there's
1: more Joker. Like, yeah. Also, his Batman illustrations are just the silhouette.
0: Oh uh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's not really a bat suit design. I think he was more interested in from like a design standpoint. Regardless of like the writing yeah. or who, what character gets highlighted, because there's a lot more Batman than Joker in this specific treatment. But, okay. In terms of the design, I can see how Joker's a more interesting design.
0: Oh, for Think sure. I mean, if you're if you're some people just love the villains, man. Also, like, you know, that's just how some people are. Like, I you know, I know people that you know grew up watching Power Rangers and they like the monsters more than the Power Rangers. You know, they watched it for the monster. Yeah. So like, you know. Generally, like horror fans, I guess, but you know, we all know Burton's into the macabre, so yes, yes, uh, yeah, this is his thing. And I think Kevin Smith also. Somebody said he just loves the monster. Mm-hmm. He loves, he loves that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, we've seen the varying designs for Joker, as opposed to like Batman. You can't get too crazy off of that. Obviously, we've seen variations. By oh, the, end right, of the, day. Like, the right, like the silhouette is still the same. It's still the bat ears. It's still the cape. Like, if they still. Certain things that are always going to be there, whereas with Joker, we've seen everything go all over the place.
0: That's true. It yeah, he's you know cross dressing sometimes and <laughs> shit like that, you know. Yeah. So
1: exactly. yeah. Uh, so Joker's free and he creates chaos in multiple ways. He releases all the animals from the Gotham Zoo. There's a comedic okay. beat where a lion gets on a loaded bus at one stop and then casually gets off at another, presumably to meet up with the rest of the pets from Homeward Bound Two. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They're meeting in San Francisco, man. Come on. I want to know those dogs' names again. I forgot. Oh, shit.
1: Uh, Joker also preempts different TV shows and interrupts the airwaves. Very classic Joker MO. Uh, He has windows of skyscrapers painted black so no one can see. Uh, That's kind of weird. He makes subways, trains go backwards.
2: Wow, diabolical.
1: (laughs) And then for one hour on TV, it just shows the message, all work and no play makes Joker... A Dull Boy, which feels a little bit foreshadowing of Jack Nicholson's casting since the phrase all work and no play makes Jack a Dull Boy is a major part of The Shining. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting beat.
0: Wow. Yeah, they had this uh, in mind.
1: Yeah. So back home, Bruce is playing chess with Alfred when (laughs) they're watching The Love Boat on TV. (laughs) Again, this is 1985, everybody.
0: Dude, man, just don't put shows like that in movies because it's (laughs) never... (laughs) never going to age well <laughs> some no matter of some what of these show it is
1: references i'm like wait what
0: dude i so, people people used to in the 90s of growing up when i was a kid people would reference the love boat a lot yeah. and I, I had no idea what it was and it finally got on Nick at night or something uh, and i watched it for a little bit and i was like this is terrible sorry if you like the love boat out there guys like i i liked mork and mendy and i liked bewitched <laughs> <laughs> and stuff the the monsters i liked what was on Nick at night at the time when I was a kid growing up mm-hmm. a lot, but that show, I don't, I didn't get it. I didn't get that show.
1: I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it. It sucks, <laughs> it, it sucks. <laughs> but it would have been cool if this happened. So the guests okay. are revealed to be Tom Bosley, Cloris Leachman, Candy okay. Warhol. And then of course the Joker.
0: <laughs> who Andy Warhol. Yeah. Damn. I mean, that's we cool. We got him for this.
1: That would Just have been to show up as a love boat,
0: Andy, him, Andy Warhol showing up in some kind of way. Yeah, especially they go to a fucking art museum in this fucking show, movie eventually, yeah. right? In one of the in the final draft. Yeah, so, like, in this version too. And in this version, so like honestly, dude, with Burton at the helm, helming this kind of thing, this pick Warhol being in there wouldn't be too off, too off yeah. for me. I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. So Joker promises more chaos and. Bruce sees this and because the Joker is creating chaos in Gotham, Bruce decides it's time to fight crime, but how? So I think this is interesting, again, because it is it is Joker who not only creates Batman uh, by killing his parents, but also creates him by creating the circumstances in Gotham where Bruce has to step up and fight crime.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, okay.
1: Which I think is controversial because a lot of people like the idea of the reverse, where Batman shows up and then other villains come out from the woodworks and – are somewhat inspired by him, but like I'm open to I'm open to to both in terms of like who created who type of thing because you know right. we grew up with Batman '89 and we've got Keaton with that great line where we're just like you know uh, you know I made you you made me first that thing so that yeah sort of cycle thematically I really like
0: it's in um it's in the end of Batman Begins right we make bulletproof vests they make armor piercing rounds. You amp kind of, theatr- yeah. Yeah. you amp the theatric- theatricality they he's they start to a- amp up the theatricality you know that's yeah. his whole spiel at the end of begins which mm-hmm. blew my mind when I first saw it I was like damn that's great yeah I love that I love that last little tag uh mm-hmm. scene there on, on it's begins yeah yeah yeah
1: no notes for that scene no
0: notes <laughs>
1: So Bruce rewatches the whole (laughs) movie. From two
0: jackasses on the internet,
1: (laughs) no notes. No notes from a movie that is over 10, 15 years old. Uh, Bruce rewatches the whole movie footage of Thomas Wayne in the bat suit, and Bruce decides to take on the mantle of the bat based off of what his dad was wearing on the night of his death. So there's kind of an eerie connection here because he kind of sees it as if his father, and it says that his father is like waving to him and, quote, beckoning him into some imagined reunion in the silent hereafter of the screen. So it's almost as if Bruce wants to become the Batman almost on a suicide mission because he knows that inevitably he will die in the field one night and he will get to join his parents one day in that. So again, very macabre. This is this whole thing.
0: It's a little different, but it's kind of cool though. I mean, at least it, you know, it gives some uh, motive for him. wanting want to be a bat.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing, too, is that in the way that Bill Finger had written it, like, supposedly that if we were to, if everything is canon in our Grant Morrison-type world, then Bruce saw Thomas Wayne in the bat suit, and then just years later, he separately saw the bat fly in through the window and just happened to be like, all right, I'll don a costume, and didn't think about the fact that his dad had a Batman costume earlier, and so what... Burton and Hickson do is they consolidate it, they make it make more sense. Whereas just like, oh the, the image of Thomas Wayne in the bat suit is kind of replacing the Bat coming in through the window, and creating a different oh, yeah. meaning for it.
2: Yeah. So I this think, is cool. I think that's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I'm jumping a little ahead here, but pretty so far we're stacking up the evidence about Burton reading the comics. I okay. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's
0: hard to tell who wrote what though, right? Yeah, that is true. Yeah.
1: That is true. Uh, Bruce goes to a drawer and opens a box which has a cowl headpiece, gloves, boots, a black bat insignia on a yellow field, decorating the chest. And he dons for the first time the bat suit. And he in the mirror he echoes the Emerson quote that I had you say the quote that's from his father's oh, funeral yeah. about great men manning themselves to face the terror of life. I don't know if he needed to say that out loud while he's in the you know in front of the mirror in the bat suit. <laughs> but it's inner monologue
0: dude uh, this would uh, have been the inner monologue part if they
1: did voiceover then sure sure. during a montage yeah if he's you know the Elfman music kicks in and you see the suit up for the first time as you know the voiceover says this line about great men manning themselves to face evil like that stuff like that would have worked and the text says the prince of darkness is born again referring to batman as the prince of darkness which i think is cool so mm-hmm. <clears throat> Batman prowls the city, scaling up buildings using quote specially designed suction gloves and knee pads. No, this is not them trying to channel Spider-Man. This is actually shown in the old Finger and Cane run. Another comics reference here. So we've got him mm. with the suction pads and the knee pads here in Detective Comics number I want to say 29 on this. Uh,
0: this was before like the, the grappling gun thing, right? Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. and all that kind of shit. So yeah. This makes sense. Like even the Adam West days, it's not like he shoots it and it fucking like you know flies up a fucking building. He's they fucking ro- do rappelling yeah. basically, yeah, just much. throws up a rope. So yeah. like, yeah, I think people might forget about that, especially yeah, they, since '89.
1: That the, it was the Burton movie that sort of really made the popularity of the grappling gun.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that's a it's a great addition though. Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. it's just too good.
1: And look what it's evolved into. You know, I love the taxi yeah. driver ask one that comes out through his sleeve in the patented version. Oh
0: yeah, that's cool. Yeah, him using it. They don't haven't done this too much, but in the Arkham games, the grappling gun is also like grabs a dude, yeah, the like bat a, a henchman. Yeah, yeah bat, the backclaw. claw. So it'd be cool to see more of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, in uh in the next movie.
1: Yeah, we've seen it. We saw a little bit of it in the ice lounge. Fight and you know Keaton does that in, in Axis Chemicals but yeah more of that would be cool
0: I'd love to see just like absolute wizardry with with the belt with the, with like using all the all the items in the, in the utility belt yeah just like whenever you're like really in like a they call this in gaming the flow mode whenever you just really like when you're in flow or whatever and just a really there's probably videos out there of like really cool fights people have had in Arkham Hell, just fucking screenwriters if you're out there. If whoever, Tomlin or whoever's writing the next one, if you're Wilson into this, just base it on the fucking game, man. Like what Snyder did, dude. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, at least with the, uh, the action and the game mechanics.
0: And just like this item, then this item, and this item. Yeah. And like, yes, punches. Anyway, I digress.
1: Yeah. I would hope we see more of that simply because, you know, it was supposed to be year two Batman, and we're supposed to see the evolution of that stuff. Yo, yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and our Batman in this script will evolve, too, as he's off to face the Joker for the first time. So Joker... Tries, uh, our Patreon listeners got the first taste of this, but Joker's debut in this is to launch a 100-foot Christmas tree like a rocket. (laughs) Like in Christmas with the Joker. I'll allow it. (laughs) Uh, He brings up he lost his last 15 Christmases in prison. He missed Christmas the last 15 years, so he's going to ruin Christmas for all of Gotham City. So Joker's kind of the Grinch (laughs) in this. This is
0: like, just like a little bit of West here. (laughs) I, I, know, think. Right? I don't yeah. think I don't think I don't think we would have hit his tone that he event that he that he wanted to ultimately.
1: I have trouble hearing Jack Nicholson say these lines while riding a giant Christmas tree.
0: I could see Nicholson just be like, I'm out. You had me at first first pitch, but this Christmas tree shit <laughs> And then, and then that's when they're like oh Jack I'm sorry we'll, uh, we'll rewrite it we'll rewrite this yes yeah that's the, the, <laughs> the next the next treatment was because of Jack Jack complaining about Christmas trees yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> like shit we gotta rewrite this but it's because yeah. of this Christmas tree that Batman debuts to stop him so uh, this is concept art again of the Batman from Tim Burton again notice it's the silhouette on top of the building it Just is in silhouette suit yeah
0: but also, again, it's it's a horror macabre kind of thing. Like this is when Batman's scariest. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. you you don't quite know what it is. It's um, yeah. So I can see why he draws like that. This is yeah, this I is really. how he likes Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, this very mysterious figure, shadow.
1: And this definitely carries over into the final movie. You know, the first time he shows, yeah, him, you see him in the background with the cape outstretched, just like in this image.
0: Ah, like, uh, so dude, that carries over. What a simple move it was, just like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just moving the cape up like that. Like, it's just so, just, it's just so simple and great, you know? Yeah.
1: No, definitely. So, Batman shows up to stop the Joker, and this is their first confrontation, a, quote, violently choreographed ballet fight, which rages through the square, across the ice skating rink, and eventually surfaces on the rooftop of the Gotham News Building in front of their gargantuan trademark clock. The fight ends when the Joker violently pushes Batman off the roof who somersaults 20 stories because again, expert gymnast gymnast, uh, and only narrowly misses death by landing gracefully in a protruding awning when Batman looks up, the Joker is gone okay so, uh, that is the first confrontation between the two and everyone sees the Batman debut and they ask who is this guy, is he friend or foe so Mm -hmm. they will have to find out after the break as we cover the rest of the script
0: Hardcore Gaming One Hundred and One podcast. We ask the tough questions. Killing a Rayman, whatever that may be, is that really so bad? Like, no, is he I even mean, alive? Like, do we? <laughs> he, I, I, he. He
1: might
0: have any like desires, a... Cal? Does he have any dreams? We're ranking the top games of all time, and it's not a task we take lightly. There are three battle toads, Drash, Zitz, and Pimple. And they're all skin problem guys. Two of them are the same skin problem. This has always bothered me. <laughs> Zits, rash, and eczema. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, <laughs> even that makes more sense. Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week. Subscribe at greenlitpodcast.com. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's
1: author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine. But so the changed meaning. In Japanese it means to temper. Other times we get absolutely smashed.
2: So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray
1: gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Sarah, oh I think your apartment is haunted. <laughs> I think you're drunk. <laughs> You can find
0: out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Lord have mercy, y'all. Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all.
1: As you might have heard,
0: All men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything.
1: However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles, giggles, in the face of danger.
0: He's a big hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum.
1: That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package
0: 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code Johnson's Ballsack.
1: Yes, use Johnson's Ball Sack and use Manscaped. It'll help your confidence, and to basically cut to brass tacks, it'll make your dick look better, guys. It'll just make the Johnson look bigger. That's all you need to know.
0: It'll make your dick seem bigger. I don't know how to make it clearer. (laughs) (laughs) So Johnson's Ball Sack, that's the code at checkout at Manscaped.com.
1: Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top product. The
0: Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with elite products.
1: Inside this Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, ultra premium two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner, ultra premium deodorant, crop preserver anti-chafing, ball deodorant, crop reviver ball spray toner, anti-chafing boxers, and the shed travel bag to hold your goods while traveling.
0: The Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer and Weed Whacker nose and air hair trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. Both are waterproof, so you can shave with less mess.
1: In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash, and Ultra Premium 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh.
0: Don't forget to apply their Aluminum Free Ultra Premium Deodorant for that cologne quality scent on the go. But it's not just your pits that stank, your balls can stank too.
1: Thankfully, the Crop Preserver bold Deodorant and Crop Reviver Bald Toner can solve this problem for you. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back.
0: Tone the balls, y'all. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag bring your comfort and boxers to another level.
1: The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all the bases from head to toe. The best bang for your shebang.
0: Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Johnson's Ballsack at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Johnson's Ballsack. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package.
1: Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console.
0: Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation.
1: Enjoy lightweight comfort with the reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge.
0: High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Best Buy, and Amazon, or you can shop for them directly at HyperX.com. And hp.com.
1: And we're back. And so we're going to cover the rest of the 1985 treatment from Homeward Bound 2's Julie Hickson <laughs> and Tim Burton.
0: Of Homeward Bound 2 fame? Yes. Julie Hickson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
1: So uh, <sighs> we left off. Batman has fought Joker for the first time. He has debuted. And the next day, Gordon... Calls on Bruce Wayne to talk about the Batman, asking if he knows oh. anything about Batman. And at one point, he warns Bruce about taking the law into his own hands, implying that Gordon in this treatment suspects Bruce is Batman. Way in the beginning, okay, which I think is interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's different, right?
1: Yeah, very different. Also, not at all anything that we saw with Pat, Pat Engels Gordon. So Gordon's <laughs> yeah. a lot more developed in this treatment, along with batman and basically everybody in this so uh i thought that was cool on this and bruce naturally tells him he doesn't know anything about what's going on with this batman and and everything so uh it's kind of it's something that i think even sam ham who wrote the final script uh suspected which is that gordon kind of knows but kind of gives him the respect of okay uh not saying that he knows because gordon is a detective himself And Batman wouldn't be teaming up with him unless he was a competent detective. Batman 66 is Neil Hamilton notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It it is a factor. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like that interpretation. (laughs) Right. So the Joker's crime spree continues. Another image of Tim Burton.
0: Loves the monster, dude.
1: Yeah. Here we go. Uh, So we've got him in front of what looks like flames. Maybe I should have put this one in the beginning. I fucked up.
0: Nah, it's Uh, it's cool. (laughs) uh, Yeah, they're all like... Kind of different, too. Like, mm-hmm. this one looks like not... I mean, the, the the first one with the stripes looked like it took, like, five minutes. This one, maybe 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. You know, for, for, for somebody like Burton, you know? Mm-hmm. It's cool, though. It's... Yeah, looks demented.
1: It's still the, like, spiky hair. The sort he of likes that. Hair. Yeah. He really yeah.
0: Liked that for this one. Yeah.
1: So, Joker paints the entire city in candy-striped colors. The Fiend.
0: That, that foul fiend.
1: Foul fiend. <laughs> Clean up this city.
0: They changed the tone of this entirely by the time they got to 89. Yeah,
1: definitely. There's, there's no uh, poisoning the cosmetics. At least not yet.
0: Oh, yeah. I so, love that um, joker.
1: He does, however, have. Uh, he does make the city immobilized without water, power, gasoline, subways, and food. I don't know why he paints the entire city in candy stripe color. I guess it's just to show the unpredictable nature of the Joker. Sometimes he just has a prank. And other times in this version, he does something that is just monumentally disastrous.
0: He so, wants to mix whimsy with disaster. Yeah. And I think that's yeah,
1: kind of cool here, where it's just like, yeah. okay, sometimes I'll paint the entire city, or I'll just have like a weird message on the TV, and then other times, I'm going to do this, which is that the next thing he does, is he sets off bombs indiscriminately along various locations of the city, always accompanied by a pathological joke message relating to the specific location. Okay. So he's not always just doing prankster Cesar Romero stuff. Okay. So, Batman goes on the search for Joker. Uh, here we have a <laughs> rare image of Batman on a rooftop. Again, the silhouette. Uh, but it's mm. kind of a cool... We're kind of looking at a cool uh, image of the Gotham City with just the lights and the buildings and a huge ass moon on this.
0: It's a really big moon, yeah. <laughs> but something interesting about it, like it's a very like like the how can I say this? This the sky looks wavy. It looks like a it looks like a yeah. looks like waves. looks It's very surreal. It's yeah. very um maybe not nightmarish but it's dre That's kind of dark dreamscape
1: it does remind me cuz i'm looking at it right now in, in in my office but it kind of reminds me of when somebody did the Vincent van Gogh starry night but they made yeah. starry dark night and put Batman yeah. in it it looks it's, like that
0: it does look like that a lot simpler but yeah it's mm-hmm. i guess cuz it's an it's a wavy night sky yeah. yeah but uh it's cool i you know i think his style is is pretty cool you know
1: yeah it is. Yeah. So this image is rare. It is actually featured in the 2014 concert of Danny Elfman's music at the Nokia Theater, accompanied by his Batman themes, of course. And I had Dan go through and provide screenshots from it so that we could show that to you guys.
0: Anyway. Wow. Deep cuts. Pretty pretty so, deep cut here. That's cool.
1: Yes. Uh, so at night, he's Batman. But by day, he's Bruce Wayne, philanthropist who deliberately puts himself in charity functions because he knows that Mayor Rupert Thorne is going to be there. Thorne, of course, is his number one suspect behind the deaths of his parents. So, similar to the Batman, where Bruce deliberately goes to the mayor's funeral to see if he can find Riddler, he kind of uses Bruce Wayne as a tool in the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, One event coming up is the opera, making this the first time that Bruce has to go to an opera since his parents' deaths. So, naturally, he has mixed feelings about that. And he goes to a performance of Mendelssohn's Midsummer Night's Dream, where the singer, playing uh, Titania the Fairy Queen, is played by Silver St. Cloud. So again, we get Silver from the Strange Apparitions arc. Now, here's something that Hickson added. Let's remember, Martha Wayne was wearing a fairy costume to the office when (laughs) she died. And Silver St. Cloud is playing the Fairy Queen. And Hickson writes, quote, despite psychological underpinnings, or maybe because of them, Bruce is intrigued.
0: Oh my God, dude! They're writing Oedipus complex in Brooks these days. Exactly. Oh man, I don't know about that.
1: I don't know about that. Homeward Bound Two. <laughs> Homeward
0: Bound Two. You gotta stay in your lane, man. You stay in, stay in San Francisco, okay? So <laughs> with those talking okay. dogs. <laughs> by the way, I looked it up. The names are Chance. That was uh, the main one, voiced by Michael J. Fox. Sally Field did Sassy. And then some guy named Ralph Waite, maybe he's famous, I don't know, but did Shadow. So there you go. I remember the name Chance. I do remember him.
1: Yeah. That's a good name. Yeah. So Joker crashes the opera with a, quote, riotous fireworks display so violent that people flee in terror and many are actually hurt. And Bruce finds silver and leads her to safety through the backstage as Joker takes off in his Joker-mobile. Hello, Peanut.
0: Peanut has arrived, everybody.
1: Peanut has arrived. We can now start the party.
0: Peanut cameo. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: heard about all the homeward bound 2 stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was like, like I heard there're dogs in that.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. So. This drawing, okay, so this drawing is the most menacing, the least least humorous. I feel like I've talked we talked about this before, this exact drawing. Yeah, it's the le, least humorous. Yeah, yeah, least humorous one. This one is like definitely like this this joker here in this trench coat kidnaps children. Like <laughs> yeah. this is a menacing joker here.
1: Yeah, and I I first saw this as the uh trading card for okay. Batman eighty nine and I was blown because this is the Joker by Tim Burton. I'm like, where was this? Mm. And, you know, like this is this image is not in the movie. And it was kind of my first exposure to uh concept art and specifically Tim Burton's concept art and who knew I would find so much more years later, you know, thanks to the uh,
0: internet. This is your first Burton like behind the scenes not in the movie. Yeah. Art you saw, okay. Yeah,
1: because look how drastically different he is from Nicholson. We've got this scarf that he doesn't wear in the the movie. It's almost like he's got sunglasses, the fedora sort of covers the front of the face, and you've got this menacing smile underneath. We never really got that type of image. Dude. But it's awesome.
0: If anybody wants to like just, in the next one, whenever they inevitably do it, just kind of rip this off. (laughs)
1: Barry Keone in there.
0: Yeah, Barry Keone, like, you know. I could see it. I could see it and just kind of show, like, you can only really see the smile because the hat is kind of covering the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. cool. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Bruce helps Silver escape as Joker wrecks havoc at the Opera House, and Bruce escorts Silver home. And it says, after years of psychic and physical abstinence, Bruce stays the night. this <laughs> Complex.
0: How? So, yeah. So, <laughs> how do you feel like the when does a screenplay overstep its bounds with description? You know, like we talked about this before, like the screenplay is not really prose, right? It's not a novel. Like you almost kind of want it to be bare bones at times, because if you, you have too much description, you're, you're kind of getting in the way of even like costume design, or you're getting in the way of other people working on the movie. If you have too much of a description of like a camera move, Mm-hmm. That's not your job as a screenwriter. That is the D P, the director of photography, the cinematographer. Like mm-hmm. so I mean this, these descriptions are cool, but I wonder if it's like I mean, obviously he you know, made his way with Ownwood Bound and shit, but it, like <laughs> it's just it sometimes it feels like it's not a totally bare bones description, which I, I just find interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean we also have to keep in mind it's a treatment, so we don't yeah, know yeah. necessarily how or what they thought it could have been done in screenplay form, you know? Like, it Mm -hmm. says that despite all these years of physical abstinence, he stays the night and stuff. But we don't know how that's going to be portrayed, you know? We could have had part in that montage of him actually, you know, turning girls down and all that sorts of things. And so it's more dramatic when he stays the night with Silver, just to show that he does care about her even though he just met her and saw her in a fairy costume that his mom was wearing i
0: I think i mean yeah it's i guess the rules for treatment and there's no real rules but you know Mm -hmm. just there's the rules for treatment and script i guess a little bit different um but like for example just to just to illustrate to the to the listeners and the people out there you know instead of saying you know they wait a minute before they speak generally the screen screen uh, screenplay will say beat yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. like the way to beat yeah, that, that, that
1: it's just like maybe you should leave that up to the director and the actors
0: yeah right it's like even that is like it like you said yeah it can be you know you don't you never know like where the the job of a screenwriter ends and the director begins or whoever you know so yeah it's it's so bare bones sometimes like but we all know movies at this point, so when you read a screenplay, it's a lot of it's filled out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. you can kind of imagine it even though you might not necessarily know how they would have written it into the script or how they yeah. would have fleshed it out on screen.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So while Bruce is sleeping with silver, Joker goes back to his hideout, which is a novelty joke slash magic shop. And he has different experiments. He's got a fish tank full of Joker fish. Again, a connection to the strange apparition, mm. the laughing fish stuff, mm-hmm. and he's got his quote-unquote grimacing gas, which is the term for Joker venom in this before it got turned into Smilex for the movie. Okay. So, Joker has somebody helping him out. This is not. This is not Bob the Goon. This is an ex-cellmate who is a nuclear physicist from his prison days, and this guy so gives him God. details on what damage the grimacing gas will cause. I don't know why this guy's a nuclear physicist. It should have been a chemist, but whatever. Do you think
0: McDonald's would have complained about grimacing gas?
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: <laughs> because of grimace. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: By the way, you know what grimace is supposed to be?
1: I've heard conflicting opinions on this. A taste bud! It's supposed to be a taste bud, but then I think somebody who worked at McDonald's like one of the CEOs, like somebody high up, not like somebody who's at the drive thru, uh, was just like, oh, I d- it was not intended for him to be a taste bud. So I'm like, I don't know. Then.
0: <laughs> I'm going with taste bud. That's just ridiculous enough.
1: It's ridiculous enough that it just has to be true.
0: Yeah. Gr- <laughs> grimacing, <laughs> grimacing gas, man. Yeah. <sighs> oh, so. so, uh, shit.
1: Bruce is back at Silver's apartment. Once Bruce has done the deed with Silver, he leaves and goes to the bat cave. Thanks, mommy.
0: I mean, Silver.
1: <laughs> yes. So he goes to a nearby weird. barn located several hundred ye- yards from the mansion and is connected to the Batcave by an underground tunnel. This feels very much like the description of the very first diagram of the Batcave from the 1940s we talked about in the in the Batcave episode. Uh, another connection to the older Batman comics here, which I've pulled up here mm-hmm. uh, on the visual version of it. But essentially, in the old days, there was... A barn that was close to Wayne Manor, and that barn would be sort of used as another entrance into the Batcave. So that's all connected here, and we also see the Batmobile for the first time. And I'm going to present a very rare piece of Tim Burton's concept art for the Batmobile. Oh wow! Now this is interesting. So oh, what we man. got here. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's not, I'm. am Thank God they didn't go with it. But it's essentially just a shell with the Bat symbol on it. And the shell, like, grows the back fin and then wheels and then takes off is what we have here.
0: All right. So, you remember when I said <laughs> Mr. Freeze was over-designed? Yes. This would be a case of uh, under-designed. Yep. I like that he wants to be simple. I really yeah. appreciate that. But, like, an egg kind of thing... I don't know, man. I mean, it looks like a toy, though. I mean, at least it has that. But
1: I'd be curious to see the toy of this.
0: Yeah, Maybe it looks like one, those, it. one of those, one of those like you pull, you put, you put on the floor, and you push back, and then it goes. Yeah. It looks like one of those.
1: Yeah, to sort of have it transform from just that egg. Oh. The thing is, I don't know what the egg thing is supposed to be. If it's supposed to be for stealth, it doesn't really work because like everyone's going to be looking at it, being like, "What the fuck is this ben, egg-shaped metal thing with a bat symbol?" On it? I'm
0: now so upset that there's no Transformer Batmobile. Uh, Has that never happened? It must have happened.
1: Let's get Zach away from his kid. in order to Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That,
0: that would mean that the Batmobile itself would have to be like a sentient creature in a sense because the mm. Transformers are. But hell, I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, Batman Beyond. Dude. I'm telling you, we are thinking of the fucking Batman Beyond script on this podcast yes. and on the Patreon <laughs> mainly, but... Damn, they need to make that, dude. That's so cool. Anyway.
1: Autobot Batmobile.
0: Especially in Batman, Batman Beyond. Shit. Yeah,
1: that would work.
0: God, that would work. This is killing me now. I'm, I get angry <laughs> that it doesn't exist already.
1: Let's take some notes. Let's make sure I get, we get this done.
0: I, I feel a little upset now, Ben. Mm. <laughs> mm.
1: It's not up to us, unfortunately, in terms of what gets made.
0: It's not up to us right now.
1: That's true. so it says here quote Albert is waiting for Bruce Wayne with food yes at this point Alfred is misspelled to say Albert in the script I think Hicks had made a typo Uh, it's
0: possible dude you stay up late at night and they're probably writing on a fucking typewriter it's fucking 85 man well it might have been an early word processor but there's no spell check on that shit
1: there's no spell, spell check and even then Albert wouldn't be caught because they're just like oh sure Albert's the name you spelled it correctly yes that's
0: true it wouldn't have been caught yeah
1: So Albert says, hey, hey, hey. No, Albert comes in (laughs) and tells Bruce that Joker went to a comedy club that, quote, unquote, liked the comedy store or improv and delivered an insane monologue of Billy Crystal jokes. I don't know if there's any Billy Crystal jokes that could be described as insane. But anyways, it's deliberately. His stand up
0: was maybe crazier than his movies.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, And then he, for the first time, he douses the entire comedy club with the grimacing gas, killing all of them. And okay, so because of this, the next morning, Gordon tells Bruce, "I want to enlist the Batman in the fight against Joker." Further hinting that he knows that Bruce is the connection to Batman, and this leads to the beginning of the Gordon Batman partnership, and Gordon being like, "He gave us the signal, so we get the bat <laughs> signal." At this point, about halfway into the
0: movie, way yeah, way earlier, yeah, much earlier. yeah.
1: So Bruce is Siddler, that line
0: in this? No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> it's okay, okay, okay. The okay. bat signal is you know it's okay. a part of this.
1: So. Uh, Bruce and Silver go to attend the yearly benefit for the Gotham City Crippled Children's Fund, which is, of course, taking place as a circus. We see where this is going. Okay. So the circus uh, is yeah. housed in the Newtown Sports Arena, a suburb in Gotham. This is actually a reference to Newtown being the location of the deaths of the Graysons in the comics. For a while in the comics, uh, the Graysons were not killed in Gotham City. They were killed in a suburb outside of it called Newtown. Or a oh, so,
0: so do they still have that, or did Newtown become Bloodhaven?
1: Um, I think it's a separate thing. It like, could I don't be think, separate. I don't think they revised it for it to be Bloodhaven. I think I just, at a certain point, they're just like, because in the original comic, it just says that it's a city that's not, it's not actually Gotham City. It's like an area outside of Gotham is what they say in the in detective comics. Ben, I expect
0: to you to be it. very knowledgeable in all Gotham geography. <laughs> yeah, and the suburbs surrounding yes. the tri-state area, yeah. whatever those states are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe like they've gone like 80 years and they've. I mean, I know it has to be fake, but like they just maintain that ambiguity.
1: There's a lot of different maps, you know. Yeah. Of the, of the area, I know my my copy of Greg Rucka's No Man's Land. Has a map of Gotham in it. You've got um, the art of Batman, art of the Batman book that I have. Has the version of Matt Reeves' Batman mapped okay. out. Okay, so it's all pretty cool. Okay, uh, again, another comic book connection here because we have Burton and Hickson saying it's it's a new town, which was cited in Batman number two thirteen by E. Nelson Bridwell in nineteen sixty nine as the as the town where Robin's parents were killed. So okay. Uh, that, If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you know what happens here. We've covered it before. The Joker crashes the circus with the Penguin, with the Riddler, with the Catwoman. And they're in better disguises than they were in the 1966 movie where they just had domino masks. So (laughs) penguins in disguise as a ringmaster, kind of like Two-Face did in Batman Forever. Uh, Riddler's disguise is as a clown, and Catwoman is a, quote, sexy trapeze artist in this. Uh, So Flying Graysons are performing with a 10-year-old Dick Grayson and Catwoman is the one who puts the acid on the ropes, which break, causing the Graces to fall, and makes Catwoman the killer of Dick Grayson's parents, which I don't really feel that great about, but they could have easily rewritten this. This uh,
0: would mean that their love interest is more than likely not there, or if they did go that route, uh, it would be just such a different tone, man. Like, Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I just don't see I think they were going off the 66 version of Catwoman who didn't really have the don't kill innocents type of rule. She was fine with innocent people dying, the 1966 yeah. version of Catwoman, as opposed to a lot of the other, the majority of versions of, of Catwoman. So uh, here, Dick Grayson's parents die, but Dick also falls when the ropes break. But it says that his lighter weight causes him to veer into a nearby pole deflecting his fall into a stack of hay bales piled along the sidelines. The effect is that of a baby bird falling out of a tree into a nest. <laughs> so okay. another reason for him to be named Robin is because he had a bird-like survival of, uh, after his parents were killed.
0: Ah, uh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, interesting addition from, uh, from Hickson and Burton here. Mm-hmm. So Joker claims credit for the deed. He escapes with the other villains through fire and confetti bombs. Penguin, Catwoman, and Riddler are never seen again. After this, so there's kind of no point to the cameos. <laughs> yeah, so they could have just been man. his
0: goons. That's the multiverse back then, dude. Yeah, that's the multiverse. Just, they just show they just, up they show for a up moment. For yeah. yeah. So
1: Bruce makes his way to Dick, concerned for the child, and knows what he's going through. He carries Dick Grayson to the car with Silver by his side, and he remembers what Ra- Alfred told him the night that, that the Joker killed his parents. And he turns to Dick and he says the same line, saying, quote, as long as I live, you will never be alone. Now, we're going to move into Act 3, called Retribution and Family. Retribution. Yes. It's great. It's a great word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, weeks pass, and Bruce Wayne has adopted Dick Grayson as his ward. Dick is described in a very interesting, non-traditional way. So, the standard image of Dick Grayson is almost like, okay, he basically looks like young Bruce Wayne. Just like, <laughs> you know, he's just a white kid with black hair. Yes. But here it says, pale skin to the point of ghostly. Again, there's that macabre aspect. I defined... think
0: Robin's always like ch- more chipper, too. Yeah, that's true. Even, even after his parents died. Like, Bruce became yeah. emo grandmaster after his parents died. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, Dick doesn't see it that way. Exactly, yeah. Or it doesn't, doesn't affect him in that way.
1: Yeah. He is defined by an alert little face and carrot-colored hair, sort of a new wave artful dodger, Although still gawky, puppyish, he moves with an elegance and agility through years of intense acrobatic training. Mm. So, what we have pictured here to represent this is Bruce Wayne with a pre-crisis version of Jason Todd, who was redheaded. Uh, this is from the 1983 comic. This treatment is from 1985, two years later. So, there's a possibility that Hickson and, and Burton liked the image of this redheaded Robin and put this in the treatment. So... That's another interesting connection. That
0: was their idea of diversity in 85, bro. <laughs> Let's
1: have a ginger in here. Let's put a ginger in
0: there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so Dick becomes less haunted while Bruce also sort of warms up to him. And it says that some age-old coldness in Bruce is being thawed by his love for the boy. They are healing each other through just the mm, presence.
0: Indeed, but indeed.
1: that healing is not going to last too long because Joker goes on television dressed as the Mad Hatter. And just to make wow. this... Just to make things simplified, this is not the Batman villain Jervis Tetch the Mad Hatter. This is the Lewis Carroll Alice in Wonderland character who also got adapted by Tim Burton. So that's why we have that picture here of that.
0: Right. That's so, right.
1: Mad Hatter Joker holds Barbara Walters hostage so that she can interview him There's more of real life. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Today, that
1: would still be kind of relevant. Yeah. Uh, there he announces his intention to run for mayor of Gotham City so this is foreshadowing of Penguin trying to run for mayor in Batman Returns this is actually from this treatment Uh, uh, or in a a way because Penguin running for mayor sort of predates this earlier because that was in the 1966 show but Mm -hmm. whatever the case Burton wants a Batman villain to run for mayor of Gotham that's what we
0: got (laughs) he really wants it
1: yeah and he says if you vote for me uh, or basically vote for me uh, and I'll end all the destruction this is similar to the vote for me or I'll kill you (laughs) that we got in Steve Engelhardt's Dark Detective. Oh, I think man. Steve Engelhardt's Joker got a lot quicker to the point in this one.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's a hell of a line. It's <laughs> great, though.
1: Yeah, and we covered that, of course, in the Did the Dark Knight ripoff Dark Detective episode. We got here with Zach's fantastic art. Uh, yeah, man. Joaquin Joker saying, vote for me or I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. So we got that. And Joker, to put himself in the running for mayor, he puts himself in a debate with mayor Rupert Thornt Moderated by real-life figure Wally George in okay. 1985, and Hickson writes, "Wally George's quote level of psychosis somewhat rivals Joker's."
0: Was this guy like a news pundit at the time he, in he 85? Was a big
1: news pundit at the time, apparently. I I was just like, "Who the fuck is this?" As I was reading this,
0: dude. I mean, yeah, I don't I did not know who this is. Like, especially like a news guy at this time. Yeah. If it's you know more like a pop culture thing, I'd probably know it more. This is
1: already dated.
0: Really, really dated. Barbara
1: Walters. We know Wally George. I'm like, what?
0: Right. It felt like again. It felt like Prince was dated by the time it came out on VHS. Like Prince had this huge run and then just like cuts off and (laughs) pop. At least from my purview, Mm -hmm. just kind of people knew who he was, but like that run was over, dude. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It kind of ends with Batman '89. Yeah. Here we've got this other figure in this, but he only has this cameo and. Joker has a debate with Rupert Thorne, which is basically a stand-up roast of Thorne <laughs> throughout it, which is kind of funny. But, and it's then, weird. I and, don't think any
0: politicians would ever roast anybody like that. Yeah, no. Hmm. Uh, and then
1: Joker shoots Thorne to death on the air and escapes. So, wow, so he
0: shoots somebody on the air.
1: So, yeah. Wow. He gets away with it.
0: It's like in so, uh, Joker.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so because of the chaos that creates this, you know, that Joker has created on this, Batman is called in by Commissioner Gordon, and there's, there are calls traded with Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Commissioner Gordon, which is similar to the classic moment from Batman 66, where Gordon has Bruce and Batman talk to each other, and Adam West has to talk into two phones at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the episode Ice Spy. So, nice. Uh, hilarious. Uh, Dick also apparently learns that Bruce is Batman, asked to join the fight, but Bruce refuses since Dick is too young and not trained enough. Again, Dick is supposed to be 10 years old in this. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Bruce decides to fight the fight another way, and when the Joker is in Gotham Times Square, a precursor to Gotham Plaza in uh, Batman Returns, uh, when he's in the Gotham Times Square, he sees that there's a campaign poster. He has a rival, Bruce Wayne, is running against him for mayor. So Oh, well uh, That's an interesting twist in this. And that itself was a comic. In Detective Comics 179 was Bruce Wayne as the mayor of Gotham City. So we got the cover of that here for the visual uh, viewers here. So Bruce sees that Gotham is in disarray. Places have been bombed or closed. Joker's campaign posters are all over saying, Vote for the Joker or the joke's on you. <laughs> and Joker has also made himself Time Magazine's man of the year. because <laughs> why? at this <place. laughs>
0: That's hilarious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Joker has converts who contain quote every subscriber to every lunatic, uh, every lunatic television cult religion, as well as Gotham's Gotham's mushrooming criminal element. Uh, they're also passing out Joker masks. So again, we have Joker followers who wear Joker masks. Sounds very familiar to the 2019 Joker
0: movie. Man, what an awesome way to get henchmen. Yeah. In a movie, dude. Like in That's a very true. realistic movie. Just mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Yeah. So we got some of that uh, that DNA here. We already got him shooting somebody on the air. We've got these followers of the masks. Mhm. So, Bruce yeah. takes a mask and examines it and finds that they're not just masks to show Joker's face. They're gas masks. So, everyone's lined up on the street, uh-huh. monitored by the Joker police who are dressed in these like candy-striped clown clothes with squirting flowers on the lapels and people are all there to see the Joker uh, to have his big speech, to be the mayor. We have this concept art here of, that's part of the thumbnail of the Joker making his speech in front of his big poster of his face and people are, are throwing up signs of his face on it because he has his followers in this. And uh, another part that's also foreshadowing of the movies is that Bruce sees that there is a parade of floats coming in various shapes and sizes. So the Gotham parade that we saw at the end of Batman 89 actually has its origins in this treatment. So uh, he knows at least one of the floats has the, quote, grimacing gas. And he calls up Commissioner Gordon and brings up that anyone not wearing the Joker mask, because the Joker mask is the gas mask, anybody who's wearing that will be killed. And so Joker's trying to guarantee his victory and rig this election by killing everybody (laughs) who doesn't actually wear a mask and vote for him. So Bruce decides he's got to fight the Joker, but not as Batman, but as Bruce Wayne. So, well, this is a very interesting part of this is he decides to take up after his father and he goes on TV and gives a speech challenging voters to resist and vote against the Joker and vote against crime and corruption, which I think is, you know, it's basically Bruce Wayne stepping up to the plate in the public eye, not just being a tool that Batman uses so that people don't know that he's Batman. Mm. Uh, The image that we have here, funny enough, is from zero year written decades later where Bruce goes on TV to encourage Gothamites to fight against the corruption of the Red Hood game, which contains the future Joker. So very similar on this. Again, so much foreshadowing of stuff that'll come later. So, Bruce makes this big speech, then changes into Batman, as Commissioner Gordon and the police infiltrate the parade. The Joker is at his headquarters. Again, another image of the creepy Joker with the mask covering his eyes. You just see the smile we have here. So, Joker finds out that Bruce Wayne is sweeping the polls and he's pissed because he's losing this election. So, <laughs> as a reaction to losing the re- uh, election, he shoots the messenger, literally, and destroys his own headquarters. <laughs> oh, man. Basically, throw throws a tantrum. Uh, so, Joker then passes by all his floats, reaching one that has a 10-story high teddy bear. And that gives Batman the clue that that's the one with the grimacing gas. And Batman has the very Batman-like line of, Hey! Chalk face.
0: <laughs> That's uh yeah. <laughs> need to rewrite on that one.
1: Maybe yeah. We need a rewrite on this homeward bound. We
0: already <laughs> lost Jack. We you know what I mean. <laughs> so <laughs> We're gonna lose everybody on that one.
1: Here's some concept art of Joker versus Batman that we have here. Very rare. It's on the uh, cover of the B- Danny Elfman and Tim Burton 25th Anniversary Music Box Collection. Wow,
2: what a, what a deep cut.
1: Yeah. Really had to dig deep in this one. But it's them on the street, and I figured this is the concept art for this scene. So Joker and Batman fight it out at the parade. Joker pulls out a gun, but Batman throws a battering at him. Classic shit. Uh, Joker sends his men after him, but Batman fights them all off, and they let the teddy bear balloon float off. So Mm. in this next image that we see here from the concept art, we see the teddy bear balloon that uh, it looks like Tim Burton did in Pastel's. We've got here, mm-hmm. and uh, Joker decides to escape by hitching a ride on the balloon, basically holding on to the you know the the lines that are part of it. And so Batman leaps up to follow suit, and we see this in this image here of two figures on that one being Batman and the other being Joker. When we covered this in the concept art, I think at the time I thought it was Batman and Robin, but I think it was Zach who said it was probably Joker, and it turns out Zach was right. Oh well. So uh, we got Joker being chased by Batman on here and they're floating on this balloon over Gotham and Joker pulls out a gun and starts trying to shoot at Batman and Batman's swinging on the balloon. This seems like a very cool action sequence.
0: It would have been cool. Yeah, for sure.
1: And they float above the Gotham city natural history museum. Here's the <laughs> museum. And Batman decides he, he to throw a grenade at the balloon and drop off to land on the roof. So the balloon explodes too far away from the crowd for the gas to cause any damage, and both Joker and Batman crash into the museum. And now we have the museum confrontation, like in the '89 movie, except it's much, much longer than just Batman swooping down and saving Vicki Vale. And also, like in Batman and Robin, the museum has a giant dinosaur.
2: Nice.
1: Yes. So it's a giant brontosaurus skeleton. That's, That's cool. So Joker leaps up on Batman and puts a gun to his head. But then there is, quote, the dull sensation of tiny fluttering as if heralding the entrance of a small bird. So Joker (laughs) hears a laugh and perched atop the giant, the giant brontosaurus skeleton is, quote, a flash of red and green, a devilish mask. It's Robin.
0: Devilish mask. So they would have tried to make Robin kind of uh, scary, maybe.
1: It sounds like it, right? Like it's. It's almost like they're describing the the sound of the bird flapping and stuff like that. It's almost like Batman's things are bats, Robin's stuff are birds, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and him kind of being scary, too, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that that's cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Batman takes advantage of this distraction. He chops the gun out of Joker's hand and sends Joker into the Brontosaurus skeleton. And then, unfortunately, we have a page missing. In the treatment. Wow, it happens. Uh, But page thirty-nine is missing. There was some
0: real Bob Kane shit on that page. They had to (laughs) had to take it out. It was incriminating.
1: (laughs) Julie Hickson, let us know what we missed. This. (laughs) It's
0: probably just got fucking um, coffee and cigarette stains on it or (laughs) some shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I'm gonna guess that there's a there's an action sequence of Batman and Robin versus Joker. Oh Um, yeah. And I don't have to be the world's greatest detective to figure that out. In terms of <laughs>
0: Context <what happens>. clues.
1: <laughs> but Joker goes into a dark room, and Batman uses infrared vision to go in. Nice. Uh, so we have the image here of, of Batman in sort of the night vision goggles in the 1939 comics, as well as Ben Affleck's Batman wearing the goggles. But I was also thinking about the lenses in uh, The Dark Knight, where you know he's trying to find Heath Ledger's Joker, and then Joker surprises him stuff that kind Mm -hmm. of is what happens here actually in the treatment so joker surprises him they fight and batman brings joker to the ground and it says here batman puts a gun to joker's head whoa so that ain't right yeah (laughs) he puts the gun to his head asking him who ordered him to kill thomas and martha wayne and joker just laughs and confirms it was rupert thorne which means quote the joke's on you bruce i killed the man that killed your parents Okay. I mean, technically, Joker killed his parents, but whatever. Uh And he right. brings up that Batman can't, you know, Batman can't kill him without becoming like him. You know, basically s- sounding out what the theme is on this. <laughs> and Robin right. is watching as Batman is tempted to pull the trigger, but it's Jim Gordon who puts a hand on his shoulder and pulls him from the brink, telling him that he's done his job. And now, you know, basically justice winning out from vengeance. Classic Batman shit. Classic comic book stuff. But this is very foreshadowing of comics later on batman would put a gun to alexander Luthor's head in the infinite crisis comic and uh gordon would talk batman out of killing joker in hush so okay yeah familiar territory for us in 2022 but in 1985 i'm sure that was kind of game changing especially batman putting the gun to joker's head but to be fair in this treatment batman's no kill rule is intact in
0: It's intact, right? Yeah, that is true. But it's just like... It feels like the tone's all over the place because you got him fucking flying <laughs> on goddamn Christmas trees in the beginning yeah. and then he pointed point a gun to his goddamn head in the end. Yeah. It's just... Uh, it's kind of nuts. I mean, Burton would have figured some way to do it, I guess. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's 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 interesting, you know. But I, I do kind of like it whenever... Sometimes whenever the, to- when the tone's a little bit off or like inconsistent because... I don't know. It shakes it up a little bit. You don't you don't see yeah. that 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 much. It like shakes some, it up to the point yeah. where you
1: you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And it becomes that makes it that th- more memorable.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: So Joker's handcuffed and he indicates that he will keep Batman's secret because he actually knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. In this, I don't know how he figured it out. Probably because I mean, never mind. He figured it out because Batman just flat out asked who killed his parents. So oh that's, yeah, uh, that's what
0: it is. That's probably uh, what it is. Yeah.
1: But uh, he brings up he'll keep Batman's secret. He's not going to tell anybody that Bruce Wayne is Batman because he still wants to have, quote, a playmate, which I think is mm. great. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Gordon says, the Gotham City thanks you, Batman. And whoever the hell you are, as he looks at Robin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not put a- put that's some pants part. on, goddammit. <laughs> that's, that's just what I figured Gordon <laughs> say cuz He doesn't know who the hell this kid is.
0: So, I, I just want everybody to know I did not dress this kid. <laughs>
1: He dressed himself.
0: He dressed so, himself. I This is green and yellow and mm-mm. fucking booty shorts. I'm out. <laughs>
1: so they go off and they leave the museum. And the end is Bruce, Dick, Alfred, and Silver St. Cloud celebrating Christmas. And they're around the tree and opening presents. We have fan art here by Eiko Chan.
0: Echo. I Smith. always go. Eiko. Uh, Echo. Iko, Aiko.
1: Iko Chan. Okay. And... Uh, Instead of Selena, it's Silver St. Cloud because Dan photoshopped her hair to be silver.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So we have here, Silver notes that there's one more gift, and Bruce finds that under the Christmas tree is something bright, purple, and green a toy Jack in the Box. And we hear the laughter of the Joker as we fade out, indicating that the Joker will return.
0: Wow, so it'd be for two movies.
1: As if there wasn't man. enough that happened in this one. We had the origin of Batman. We have the origin of Robin. We have Joker doing a million different things. Gordon kind of figuring out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. They're like, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I mean, well, you know,
0: whenever the Dark Knight ca- was before it came out, uh, yeah. I remember a friend and I were talking like, what if the Joker was the villain for the next one too, man? Like, yeah. I remember having those conversations.
1: So that that's, could have been what we gotten. If they went with the uh, the Hickson treatment, but again, this is just them fleshing out ideas. And I think overall, right, there's there's a lot of great kernels of stuff. I really like the mm-hmm. origin, you know, divorcing itself from the Mr. Softy stuff because that's that's pretty surreal and weird. But the, the stuff the lead up to it, I think, is pretty solid. Um, some of the some of the characterization in this is kind of missing from the final films. Mm-hmm. And I wish it was kind of there because they they nailed certain aspects of this. I really like what happened with Gordon uh, mm-hmm. on this as well.
0: It's right, right, right. It's cool. It's just all over the place, like I said, tonally. But uh, again, I mean, it's like a 30-page treatment. This would have been... I mean, obviously, that's what happened. It was rewritten to Helen back. So, yeah. um, I mean, what, what from this made it all the way to 89? Great floats... The parade floats made it all the way. That's true. made
1: it all the way. Um, <clears throat> the mayor stuff obviously influences the Penguin, in Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. The shot of the two men stalking the Wayne parents, I think that's interesting that that's in here and mm. makes it into the final movie. I don't know if that was a conscious choice or an image that he really wanted to have in there, but it is a similarity between the two. And then, of course, you've got Joker being the gunman.
0: It, I think it, there's something... Yeah, it's true. There's something... Um, how can I say it? Like, there's... It's hard to find what exactly the character arc is in Batman 89. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this one actually does have... As a, as a struggle for Batman's character at the end, you know, to kill or not to kill. So, um yeah, like a moral decision, like... So I mean that that actually is stronger in some ways than what we've finally got. Although, like Batman eighty nine is kind of playful up until the very end. Like yeah. if he was ended with him screaming with a gun pointing at somebody's head, it's not it's not really playful anymore, right? So yeah. um, this is like a, a tone
1: rewritten third acts for this movie. Yeah, you know, even leading up to the, the scripts from Sam Hammond and Warren Scarfe. So. We could have gotten a whole bunch of stuff in, in different ways. And, you know, there's stuff in here that I definitely like and other stuff where I'm like, yeah, that's, that would have been too much back then.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though. I mean, we've definitely read worse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Have. yeah, yeah, much and, worse. Uh, I would say if it wasn't Tim Burton who was reading these comics, it was definitely Julie Hickson doing her research because we have so many callbacks to different, like, old comics yeah. that were not directly cited by Michael Usland in this so like somebody did their research maybe it was hickson doing all the research and stuff and burton didn't read it in the comics but still we know that burton had to have read some part of it in order to give the approval or have his name on it or to present this treatment to warner brothers or even just have his quote on the cover of the deluxe edition of the killing joke it's
0: just hard it's hard to imagine him not reading it because like we've said many times kind of dark and macabre with a little bit of a sense of humor that's exactly what batman comics are You know, especially the humor part, more so in certain eras, right? But it's all there. So it's like when he was gonna do Superman, that felt kind of out of character for him, right? But Batman, kind of really in character for you know for him to be into that character and him to read those kind of comics. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I it's just some shit he said to piss off Kevin Smith. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so, uh. In the meantime, if you like this episode, check out our friends at Verse Creative. We kind of teamed up this week where we are releasing this episode, but they're releasing an audio drama adaptation of this script treatment. Oh, so nice. Check that out. It's called Batman 85. Uh, so it's Newverse Creative. We'll send, we'll have the link in our show notes and stuff. But they have loads more there. They've done adaptations of script that we've covered. So the Batman Dark Knight script, where it was George Clooney versus Man Bat. They've done an audio drama version of that. Uh, the Batman versus Superman script for Wolfgang Peterson. They've done that. And then they've done a bunch of the Superman scripts that we haven't covered yet, like Superman Lives and Superman Flyby. So uh, definitely check those guys out That's cool uh, over there uh, for our fans. And uh, they're also promoting us on their audio drama. So it's kind of a cross-promotion thing. That's cool. To pay tribute to this treatment that's kind of been overlooked.
0: And their new verse is N-E-U-verse, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: N-E-E-U verse Creative. So, uh, thanks for that. And that is superhero stuff you should know. Right, big thanks to our research assistant, Dan, for the visuals on this, as well as, basically, uh, we have this post credit sequence right here. So it is the oh, month that Batman shit. returns his anniversary, and we have our friends at Daily Batman Anthology who pointed out that we have this concept art of the penguin's duck that's very different what we got in the movie let's have a closer look here <laughs> it had wings that expanded and it looks like it was originally meant to fly and change expressions it's we got had these angry thrusters <laughs> yeah it has these angry expressions on the right and this may have been for when they were supposed to have the roller coaster fight between batman and penguin uh, i would have
0: loved this toy dude stuff.
1: oh yeah too it's the expression changes and stuff It'd and the be wings so pop out. sick yeah. dude yeah So that would have been cool, and we have another look here where apparently this is used in the... uh, This was used at Six Flags. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's cool. This was used at Six Flags uh, for... This is sort of the beginning leading up to their uh, Batman Returns ride. So that's where this image comes from. So big thanks to Daily Batman Anthology for uh, that image, and I thought I would share that since we're sort of gradually celebrating the Batman Returns anniversary too. It's coming. Yeah. So... Moving on then to fan comments. What we got here is from uh, tw- Twitter user Michael Coggan Carr saying, Superhouse Pod, listening to your episode on Batman and Robin script and 100% it's my number one guilty pleasure. Nice. Batman That's and Robin cool. fans are coming out. So if you're a Batman and Robin fan, definitely check out our episode even if even if you're not please check out that episode because just everybody everybody because it's it's got a lot of stuff that didn't make it into the movie that a lot of people will find interesting even if you hate the movie uh
0: that, that episode out. actually syncs up to Homeward Bound 2 He <laughs> 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 turned down the movie's volume, he listened to that podcast. It just it works, guys. Just, yes, just trust yes, me on this.
1: Yes. We've tried this out. Yeah, yeah. Uh next is from Cosmic Eight Starlight Cafe. Uh so this is a comment on the ranking Gotham Cities in live action film and TV saying, guys, I watch all the episodes and love the Doctor Strange deep dive. I often listen to these while at work, so I can't always comment. That's okay. Uh I know you guys said you probably won't revisit Doctor Strange, but maybe y'all could at least do a shorter dive into Doctor Mordred and its connections to Doctor Strange. Probably not, but I appreciate the Dr. Strange content nonetheless. Thanks for all that you guys do and keep it up. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen Dr. Mordred yet, but I think we're down to have some sort of deep dive on that, or at least watch it.
0: I think it might be on Prime, but I am um, i don't know why I think that, but it, I think so. I don't know. Anyway, I'll look like it up later. Be on Prime. Seems like it'd be on Prime, right? I don't <laughs> know why. It just has that vibe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing it, and I've heard it's, like, not bad. It's for what it is.
1: Yeah. We'll check it out. We'll check it out. We'll let you know. Cosmic Gate. But thank you for that.
0: Thank
2: you.
1: Uh, Last one is from uh, Slight Rebellion off Madison. This is a long comment on the Batman James Bond Connections episode. So to Ben and Andrew, great job as always, gentlemen. As a big Bond fan, this was a nice addition to the show. Side note to Andrew, if you ever watch the older Bond films, check out License to Kill, definitely an underrated Bond film with the precursor to Craig's Bond films. That's the one with Timothy Dalton where they do the thing where the the plane gets inverted that probably inspired Gets inverted?
0: <laughs> Top gun, bro.
1: I knew that was going to come up. considering which just came out.
0: <laughs> oh man. It, it was you need so good
1: too and smile afterwards. Dude
0: I love Top Gun 2, man. That was a fucking great movie. Anyway, I not seen it yet. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, like, I haven't seen any of the older Bond films. Like, I've seen the ones that have come out in the theater. Well, a lot of them since the Pierce Brosnan ones, but mm-hmm. I just didn't grow up with Bond. Just not not like I don't. Want, how much hate do I want? I don't. I'm not just not a huge fan of John Wick mm-hmm. and, um james bond too much or even mad max reason being like with comic book shit i know exactly who you know bruce wayne is peter parker is you know there's always some care given into their backstory and their character and their development on top of that with the spectacle and all that right Mm -hmm. but like i don't know i just feel like i don't know who john wick is i don't know who james bond is I, I've heard, I, I've, I've seen like the uh, later Mad Max movies, but I've never seen the first one, the Road Warrior. I've heard that there's a backstory there. They just never go back to it.
1: Yeah, the first one is, yeah, the Mad Max movie. And then Road Warrior is kind of... Okay, yeah. For everything else.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, where it's like, you know, just feels... They're cool stunts. Like Fury Road has incredible stunts. But I don't know, man. It's just like... Like in Top Gun 2, y'all, I fucking know exactly <laughs> no. who Pete is. And all the car- like the emotional beats are perfect for me anyway. So <laughs> anyway, I'm not trying to piss everybody off here, man. And if it's your thing, it's been, Ben likes Ben loves Bond, so you know, we're just not gonna agree on everything.
1: Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, license to kill is is slight rebellion's uh recommendation here. Also okay. adds, just to go down the rabbit hole for Batman and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Rawls al Ghul has strong parallels to another character in the film. Uh, we did a deep dive into the On Her Majesty's Secret Service as well for the Patreon.
0: I did watch uh, that for the show. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so, uh, Draco, uh, the head of an international crime syndicate, later somewhat Bond ally, and the father of Tracy, Bond's bride to be in the film. Draco suggests early on Bond marry Tracy by stating, quote, She needs a man to dominate her amazing the things you could say back in the 60s <laughs> uh that's true we talked about that in the patreon episode as well uh, about the dude
0: uh, so much shit God. man yeah yeah
1: uh also i'm not sure if denny o'neill was consciously or subconsciously influenced by the film of honor Majesty's secret service but i remember an interview where neil adams stated editor julius schwartz gave him the name Rosal Ghoul and told him to figure out the rest Adams stated he based ross look on jack palance also the facial model for Darkseid and Marvel's Dracula and Tomb of Dracula. Now, Jack Palance is also known for us Batman 89 fans as Carl Grissom. Yeah. As the Joker's boss. Um, slight rebellion adds, but I've read that Ra's look might be inspired by actor Christopher Lee in the 60s film The Face of Dr. Fu Manchu.
0: This sounds right to me. Keep going, and sorry.
1: Interesting note, Neil Adams stated he drew Batman's flowing cape based on the way Christopher Lee moved his cape when he played Dracula. Yeah, we covered that in The Batman versus Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, dive. Christopher Lee, of course, would play the Bond villain Scaramanga in The Man with the Golden Gun. Nice. Uh, so we do. I do have here the interview where Neil Adams brings up that uh, he's kind of modeled off of Jack Palance. He said, quote, he looks sort of like Jack Palance if you shaved his head back a
0: bit. Oh, yeah, this is true. He does look so, like him.
1: He says that, and the image I have here is Jack Palance as Dracula uh, a, a few years after Rosal Gould was created, but that's kind of the closest equivalent I could find to a uh, a Rosal Guil looking Jack Palance on that. But uh, Christopher Lee, I could see Christopher Lee being somewhat of an influence because again, like we're looking at a period of time where Christopher Lee was, you know, really well known to be villains. And I just read about this too. Andrea Romano tried to get Christopher Lee to voice Rosal Ghoul for Betas. Oh wow! It did not work out. We got David Warner, who was perfect anyway, but just imagine just the prestige of getting. that would
0: have been cool it
1: yeah so apparently it didn't work out due to um you know the fact that he's in he's in london and they just couldn't work out the scheduling in terms of having him come over and i guess you know yeah, this is the 90s so you know you couldn't really do it over zoom christopher yeah
0: christopher lee was too busy recording his metal albums yeah do you, know, you <laughs> yes. know about that he fucking yes, records heard. his own fucking metal albums I've heard it, yeah <laughs> yeah <It's>
1: amazing
0: <laughs> incredible dude incredible yeah.
1: So thank you, Slight uh, Slight Rebellion, for all this on the the extra tidbits. Some stuff that we might have shared already, but uh, if not, then uh, we've shared it now, and people who didn't get to hear it the first time can uh, check out those episodes. So thank you for that. Indeed. On to the shout-outs.
0: Oh, man, you know how it goes. You know what I'm saying? Dudes and dudettes Mm. and everybody in between. So we want to thank Halsey C., Maurice D., Jonathan, Robert H., R D decade VV Josh M Benjamin V Chris and Chris F and everybody else up on the board here and moving on from that. We want you to go to patreoncom slash superhero stuff pod. We have the $1, $5 and $10 tier. $1 gets you that their shout out on and gets you on the board. And then uh $5 tier gets you the whole other show. This show you're listening to right now or watching is uh, every Monday for free. And then uh, Patreon show is every Friday, $5, cancel anytime, binge the whole thing if you want. And then uh, there's a lot of episodes on there at this point, um, well over 100, I think. We're getting close to 200 probably. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's that. And then uh, $10 tier gets you the monthly uh, live show, which is you can join us on a Zoom-like call, and we have a topic at hand, and we just kind of shoot the shit all together as well. And just like... Um, if you are part of other Patreons, if you're part of the $10 tier, for example, you get everything below it. $5 tier, you get the $1 tier benefits. So there's that. And then we have our merch at superhousepod.redbubble.com and superherostuffpod.threadless.com. Ben Manzacula and Indeed Wizard mugs, shirt, shower curtains, and all the rest. Artwork by Stefan Santa Cruz. And send us some audio, please. I feel an absolute paucity of audio lately from the fan from from listeners so superhouse podcast at gmail.com send us something please i'm thunderwolf drew on instagram and twitter thunderwolf lives on youtube i'm gonna oh thunderwolf drew.com is my portfolio and then i'm gonna it's a-m-a-n-o-r-e-c-o-n dot com uh it's an original uh stri- think r-rated stranger things meets power rangers uh and that's a more on that later, but um, we have a teaser out at aminorecon.com. It's 17 seconds. Uh, this poster artwork by Zach, and that's it for me, Ben.
1: Shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram for your support, as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram Superhero Stuff Pod, TikTok Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero Superhero Stuff Pod. My website is benwanrider.com, where you can read different scripts, like my Gotham script, Gotham Vampire, where young Bruce faces off against the Mad Monk, or my spec script for elementary called The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on the classic story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective, or Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode they could never make where Larry David goes to Disneyland, then regenerates (laughs) into being Mr. Mixias Pidolick
0: oh no, really i wish that would be awesome dude i wish <laughs> i, I sure loved that, that was the best superman movie rumor of all time <laughs> larry david is going to be mr Mixia spitalik it's pretty,
1: pretty, <laughs> pretty.
0: <laughs> oh man yeah dude, it would be my great. youtube
1: channel is in the description below where you can also check out my project doctor who the rodent of time an audio drama i write narrate and edit where the eighth doctor meets miyamoto musashi in ancient japan uh, Cosmic Starlight Cafe left a great comment for me on it. If there are any other Eighth Doctor fans, especially of the Big Finish audios, this is for you. My personal Instagram is Benwan Ryder. My son's Instagram, my cat, the other cat, is <laughs> Alfie <Pennyworth>, Cat. <laughs> He has a name. (laughs) He has a name. It's Alfie. I only say it at the end of every
0: episode. We're just kidding, by the way. (laughs) Just joking. Thank you for the comment. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Uh,
1: And then, uh, if you have an Alfie or a Peanut or any cat at all, then you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box for the crazy cat lady and gent. And if you don't have a cat, then that's okay too. If you have a because if you have a dog, you can get the Bark Box, y'all. Give your dog exactly. What they want with the Bark Box. We have a promo link where you can get the first month off free, valued at $35. You can get that promo link in the description or the show notes or the superhero slash shop page that we have for that stuff. We have basically our eBay page, Amazon affiliate links, Bark Box, Whisper of Days for your knee, all that type of stuff, all at superhero slash shop. And don't forget about Manscaped. Make your Johnson look bigger <laughs> with Manscape by shaving the hair around your balls and dick at promo code <laughs> Johnson's Ballsack <laughs> at manscaped.com. You heard us in the middle, or you skipped the middle, and now we're plaguing you with this at the end, but it would help us out as well as help you out in the bedroom.
0: If you could make your dick at least seem bigger, <laughs> wouldn't you give your dick the chance?
1: Ah, we should have said that uh, <laughs> we would make it Burt Ward size. Yeah, You'd yeah. Shave yeah. It there. We're the only podcast that can say
0: that. If you you wanted to at least get close to that majesty that is Burt Ward's cock, (laughs) please. Johnson's ball sack.
1: We need to put that into the next ad read. Oh,
0: man, it does. (laughs) Can we put a celebrity's name in the the ad read, though? The official (laughs) ad read? He'd be like, guys, I I I sell dog food here. I don't do this manscape bullshit. We got a cease and desist from his ass.
1: Bert, we are very complimentary <laughs> on this.
0: We're talking... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't care. This is he not would- defamation.
0: <laughs> this is the exact opposite, actually. <laughs> We're talking about some other guy named Bert Ward, by the way. That's fucking not even that other guy. You know what I'm saying? Just to be legally safe here, guys. So... <laughs> There could be a lot of guys named Burt Ward with big ass dicks. So, yes. um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, hopefully, that's all right, everybody. Anyway, uh, yeah, Manscaped. Check it out.
1: Yes, check it out. <laughs> promo code Johnson's Ballsack at Manscaped.com. Get twenty percent off plus free shipping. Johnson's Ballsack at Manscaped.com. That sounds like an email address. The promo code is Johnson's Ballsack at Manscaped.com.
0: Yes, <laughs> so the well, the promo cool. code is Johnson's Ballsack. Just that. Yes. No space. Yes. No apostrophe. Coastal. Yes. I don't think it's uh, case sensitive. But anyway... I don't think so it's the, It's the checkout code. Johnson's Ball Sack is the checkout code. Yes. So, uh, yeah. You said
1: Johnson's Ball Sack enough.
0: <laughs> never enough. <laughs> you can never really say it enough. But anyway, I think uh, we want you to do us a favor.
1: Johnson's Ball Sack. Wait, sorry.
0: <laughs> Shave Johnson's <laughs> Ball Sack.
1: Shave Johnson's Ball Sack. And... We want you to tell all your friends about it.